you know, um, for people that know me, I don't even have to say this. But it's quite a few of you out there that don't really know me, so I gotta say, you know, I'm far from ungrateful. You know, I'm probably one of the most grateful people you'll ever meet. You know, I appreciate shit, because it'll been a time I ain't had a goddamn thing. Um, This ain't one of those times. You know what I'm saying? Um, I played this little bullshit-ass secret sound of shit. On the card that was given to me, it asked me to list a few items that I would be interested in somebody getting for me. I participate. Now, me knowing as price as I am, I don't fucking put down certain shit for a fucking reason. Tell me why some dumb country bitch decides to go and buy this shit for me. Now what the hell is this? What the fuck is this? Black classic match. Our version of fucking polo black. Oh my fucking God. What is this shit? Where in the fuck do you even find this? I mean, what the fuck? You motherfuckers know good and damn well I wouldn't wear no shit like that. Now, I pass by you motherfuckers every morning smelling good as a son of a bitch. And I make sure you smell it because I walk past you fast to, to create a breeze. You smell the shit and you give me a compliment. You know good and damn well I ain't born no shit kind of black classic match. Who even makes this shit? Then you got the audacity to get this shit in a motherfucking gift set with some goddamn shower gel in it. As if I'm gonna bathe in this shit. Then hop out and spray the shit on. Oh, what the fuck? You done ruined my whole motherfucking season. I just want to bought this shit for nobody. I'd rather you catch your ignorant ass, your stupid ass to Walmart, got me a, 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 a can of X, a, 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 a bottle of that goddamn bot man. Then this shit here. Season's greeting my ass. Fuck a follow la 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 all of that damn season over with for me. Okay. It is Friday, January third, two thousand twenty. Yay, we we in a new decade and everything. We're in a new decade, but it's still the same old shit. I mean, um, I don't really have anything planned. I mean, I don't know what the fuck y'all want to talk. You want to talk about uh, how you know nudes guys keep dropping on on the interwebs or something? I'll, I'll just 
I was just 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 uh, recently reminded that uh, you know Steph Curry dropped some news. Haven't seen it. Not planning to see it. And the baby dropped uh, his alleged uh, dick all over the place. But um, yeah, it's a it's a brand new year, and um, I can tell you now. I'm, even though we're just a couple of days in, I'm, I'm I'm not looking forward to it. Um, I'm not looking forward to it for my reasons, particularly because, uh, you know, just trying to stay afloat, and by afloat, I mean just uh, indoors, trying to find a nice place to stay, so I won't have to camp out at Walmart's every night again. Yeah, that was a thing I did for a brief, for a brief spell. Just uh, finally found this place to stay with a couple of old people, and uh, you know I'm already trying to figure out how to how to do the rent thing. I do the rent thing when you are you are a freelance journalist, which means especially a freelance journalist in um, Houston, Texas. Just yeah, for some reason, not, not people, people not really looking for a writer of any sorts around here. So this is my uh, third year back in Houston, and still, yeah, I'm not really, not really feeling it. Not, not the the opportunities haven't been flowing as I would like it to. It's kind of fucked up. To be at this point in my life, because because like I'm in my forties and I'm just like out here, just in the ether, just you know, my family, most of my family is either dead or I just I don't know who the hell they are, so I can't really contact them. You know, my friends can only do so much. You know, those those friends who you know who will talk to me because. Uh, you know, when you, when you reach out to certain friends, uh, you know, say, oh, uh, who, new number, who this, and everything, so. So, yeah, so. I don't really have much to say, just, yeah, you know, just, just want to say the usual stuff, which is, uh, just as we go into the new year, uh, try not to be an asshole. Just try your best not to be an asshole. And if you are an asshole, do some stuff that will offset the asshole stuff that you did. Like, you know, just give a dollar to a charity. That's, that's not that I was thinking about just because if people just gave $1 to some charity, yeah, you know, just because a lot of people always wonder just like, Hey, you know, I don't know what to do because, you know, just I don't I'm only one person. We'll just give one dollar. And, you know, enough enough one dollar bills will accumulate into something. Uh, you know, people forget there are other people in this world that can also provide another dollar. And all y'all dollars can just uh, come together and just uh, give to something. Uh, just or just just try to be decent. Try to try to think about 
other people. Yeah, you know, just I I can't miss uh, living someplace where people actually uh, are are considerate of, of other people's feelings. Rarity around here. Um, it's just trying to, I don't know, just like I, I went to a, went to, I don't even know if you want to call it a therapist of money who uh, you talk to about stuff. And, uh, you know, she, you know, she was, she was talking, you have, do you have any goals or anything? And just, you know, just for the new year, I'm just like, well, I was uh, I was thinking about uh, starting up uh, like a film series at one of the theaters around here, and even as I was telling her this, she could already understand that you know the same thing I was understanding when I was thinking of it because it's like you need money, you need backers, you need all this stuff, you need a theater that's that's willing to uh, for you to rent out the place. She said, "Well, that sounds like a dream." already she's like you know that's that's an impossible task so thinking like a goal like you know riding a bike or crocheting i'm like no i haven't thought about crocheting i don't, th- I don't think anybody has thought about crocheting recently no disrespect to motherfuckers who actually crochet but i haven't thought about crocheting i haven't been on a bike for so damn long I have to go back to my middle school years. And I don't know how to ride a literally don't know how the hell to ride a bike anymore. Cause I just walk. You know, so hopefully I will get exercise by just walking. Uh, oh man. Also, don't be an asshole on the medias. Try to be more positive on the goddamn social medias. Just I might going through some stuff. You know, last thing they want to hear is you just being a dick on Twitter or Instagram. You know, just, just you know, here, here's a fun idea. Just, just try to be, uh, just, just more rational. Everybody's ready to just jump on the whole bandwagon. I'm not. I'm, I'm going to try to say, try not to say the words. You know, the, you know, the, the, the. The the C culture, you know, there's a there's another C word out there now. The C culture is it's all about trying to get people out there, and, and and there are some people that need to be out the paint, and there are some who's just like, yeah, that dude fucked up, just like you know, just you know, if it's just just give him a warning or something like that, like because then you know, you know. Kevin Hart has already done a whole Netflix show about this already. Just the whole, the whole, his whole show is called Kevin Hart. Don't fuck this up, which is just basically a rundown of all the times he fucked up. The man literally had to do a TV show about, about fucking up. So y'all could be okay with him. Hey, you know, I fuck up sometimes. Yep. That's what people do on the regular. We fuck up. I fucked up by coming back to Houston. So, but, uh, you know, we all, you gotta excuse me. Cause, uh, somebody just, uh, passed along, uh, some, uh, Jack Daniels barrel proof, 136 proof whiskey. And, and, you know, I'm sipping the hell out of that. 
wow. <sighs> yeah, just had to, considering the day I had, trying to figure out what to do with my with my ass. And just, you know, I still try to do this podcast. I don't know who's listening to that shit, but just, if you are listening, just let me know, because, you know, just be nice if you did because i know a lot of people are going through some stuff and it's kind of wondering like whether or not to divulge any of that you know we you know because we're all all going through things i think a lot of people are just embarrassed to bring it up for some reason because we've we we've all got in our heads that you know if you admit certain things about yourself you're weak or just like you're you're coward or whatever it's just we're all going through some shit. That's the thing. We're all going through some shit. And maybe it's a good idea to talk to other people about it. Why we're all, why we're all so, you know, ready to clam up and just like, I still often feel like I'm the only person in this town going through some shit. And I know damn well, a lot of people I know are going through some shit. And, you know, just be cool to talk about not, you know, not make a big deal where uh, people, you know, because people are ready to flex like hell on Instagram or wherever hell. Because I'm just thinking just that, just why, why, why are you flexing? Why is there such a thing as flexing? Like, why you got to flex? Nigga, just you know, just uh, yay! You you got money. Congratulations! I don't I don't need to hear that shit. I'm not flexing. I'm, I'm I don't have I don't have anything. So why are you going out the way to show people that you have shit? Like what what does that? How, just how does that? Yeah, you know, fill you up inside. Uh, flexing out there on the gram or wherever you go, just that's the thing. People think like if you uh, just 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 reach this plateau where you're making a lot of money or driving a lot of driving the flyest cars or just uh, paying for uh, expensive bottle service at the club, you live in the life. Not really, no. Just like, hey, you just a motherfucker just has money. You're doing a lot of ex- extravagant extra shit. You're, you're just a person. Just like that. That shit doesn't impress you. I, I hate to bring up the, the the Shania Twain song, but that that don't impress me much. You know what does impress me? Just being honest with yourself. Like you know, I'm at the club with the bottle service, but. <laughs> When I leave, I'm going back to my one-bedroom apartment. Uh, yeah, I'm going to pass the fuck out and then wake up tomorrow morning and watch Strayhand and Sarah and Kiki. Just be, just be honest with yourself. It doesn't mean that you're lesser than if you... Anyway, it's just, people, you know, for years, uh, the LGBTQ community has been coming out saying they're gay, they're lesbian, trans, whatever. 
I think we should start a new movement now where just people just come out and just be honest. Like, hey, I am a broke motherfucker. I eat ramen noodles. Uh, my 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 sneakers is is falling off at the heels. I live with two old niggas, and uh, shit ain't going well. Cause you know what? A lot of people, you know, sharing that same sentiment. Just you know, shit ain't going well, and just we we need to help each other out. Yeah, we need we need to try and help each other. I don't know when that became a bad thing. It's helping each other because let me tell you something. I you know no no motherfucker can do this alone. Because trust me, I spent the last decade trying to do this shit alone, and it that was painful. That's why I'm not really doing that whole thing. Where just one of the biggest things that happened to you the past decade, nigga. I was too broke for most of it to pay attention to the big moment. I was basically just trying to see how, you know, where, where my next meal was coming from and just, um, just trying to see if I'm going to stay in this apartment any longer. Just, you know, just, I'm just trying, I'm just moving. I'm just living day by day, just trying to, trying to make sure I, I make it to another day. Yeah, just it's bad enough that yeah, just I, I get depression extremely easily. And just also gotta add to the fact that I'm wondering just how I'm gonna live and everything like that. It's just it's all just build up and just Uh, you know, sometimes just wonder if just anybody out there just feeling the same goddamn way or you, you know, just, and, and, you, and that's why I kind of do this show, which is just to see who the hell out there is listening and if anybody going through the same shit. I mean, I could talk about all the other, all the bullshit that's happened in the, out there on black Twitter, but Nigga, you can get that from a bunch of other a bunch of other better podcasts. You know, Opinions While Black. I just listened to Opinions While Black today, and they uh, they were going off on a lot of black Twitter shit. So, uh, you know, I have a lot of my I have a lot of favorite podcasts. Do a lot of stuff like that, but just uh, you know, just you know, I know Black Guy Who Tips. That's a big. That's a really good one. Just said, uh, but um. Listen, I'm just I'm just trying to do this thing that I do where I uh, talk at the top of it and then play some music and then talk to somebody that's interesting. And hopefully that is a uh, intriguing, entertaining experience for you. If it's not then uh, just you can just tell me to go fuck myself which is often the easy thing to do or you can just say or or you can go to the various uh platforms you listen to this on and let them motherfucking know hey what you're doing it is it, well keep on doing it so 
Holy shit, that was 20 minutes. I didn't think I'd go that far. Um, well, uh, let me see if I can do this shit here. This is the most reflective show on the uh, the interwebs, internet, whatever you want to call it, the World Wide Web, the information superhighway. Let's bring that shit back. This is Everything is Canceled. Let's see if we can get to the music.
strobe lights One flash in the pan but it simmers I'll wait for the fade but it lingers On, I'll wait for Fortnite Am I with the pot or the kettle? Am I the punchline or the riddle? Don't do the math for me yeah, I know I should party But don't invite me if you don't want me around No one's sticking up for me It's your fault but I'm sorry Now I'm digging my grave and ten feet off the ground My brain waves blank like strobe lights One flash in a pen but it's amazing I'll wait for the fate but it lingers oh. I'll call you my neighbor You call me for favors And I'm picking apart my pride to bite my tongue Your mom watches cable While I'm setting the table She don't say I'll remind her of her son My brain waves blink like Strobe lights One flash in a pen but it's I'll wait for the fate, but it lingers on for Am I with the pot or the kettle? Am I the punchline or the
Okay, this is uh, everything is canceled, aka Uncle Crizzle's New Year time. Uh, as always, I am Craig D. Lindsay, aka Uncle Crizzle, aka Black Larry David, aka Anastasia Beaverhausen, aka Craig the Wino, aka a lot of stuff. Uh, let me just uh briefly run down uh the songs i played um starting at the top um jericho uh by uh, citizen cope from the uh rainwater lp shout out to uh whitney cummings first special for uh, uh getting me uh into that song I like that very much uh, after that uh was um Strobe Lights by uh, Adrian Young and uh, Gallant. That's an Amazon original. Last year, uh, Adrian Young produced a lot of stuff and uh, just uh, decided uh, to get with Gallant and um, collaborate on that song. And uh, since uh, we will uh, soon uh, have David Bowie's Birthday and Death Day soon. I thought I'd play um, something from the Young Americans album. Uh, Somebody Up There Likes Me. But that's, that's always a good track. So, uh, so yeah, that was the music. And um, as always, if you want to get in contact with me, I'm on all the medias. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, TikTok, uh, uh, Tumblr. Wherever you want to hit me at, at uh, Uncle Crystal, U-N-C-L-E-C-R-I-Z-Z-L-E. If you would like to donate to this show, it would be really nice if you did. Uh, you can hit me up at uh, paypal.me slash Uncle Crystal. Um, and uh, like, uh, let, let's get into our, our sponsor. Uh, my loan sponsor, it'd be nice there are more sponsors, but the sponsor, as always, is uh, woodrocket.com. Are you through arguing about whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie? Well, if you are, why don't you head over to woodrocket.com and check out their latest parody, Dick Hard. Watch Do- John DeClain try to defeat Hans Grabber and his gang of terrorists from taking over Fuckatomi Plaza, where they're holding a Christmas party full of hostages, including his wife, Holly Gisnero. I swear to God, all this happens. Rachel Ryan, Donnie Rock, and Tommy Pistol star in an action and dildo-packed porn parody. One of many porn parodies you can find on woodrocket.com. Woodrocket also has an Etsy store where you can get such items as weed pins, sex toys, posters, coloring books, and the April O'Neil Dick and Morty action figure. You can find all that at woodrocket.com, the future of porn. Okay, um, well, let's get into the um, the guest that we have for us today. Um, he and I are both uh, members of the uh, Houston Film Critics Society. I just just remembered he is the former president of the Houston Film Critics Society, but he is still an avid member. Uh, Yeah, and uh, he will (laughs) 
tell us about movie shit. So, uh, Joshua Starnes, welcome to Everything is Canceled. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, actually, you're just about to go, because as of this taping, the um, this recording, if you will, uh, the uh, Houston Film Critics Society Awards has not happened yet, but not after yet. this re- will be released, it ha- will, it will happen. That's right. And uh, so, uh, just... I guess we can guess get into uh uh what is how you feel about the nominations this year. I mean but but first like you'll be introducing a lot of stuff this year. I'll be introducing so we had a uh, an award that uh I I had a hand I didn't create by myself by hand in, I had a hand in creating it. It's um my favorite one that that we do which is uh the Texas Independent Film Award uh which is specifically for a you know uh an independent film. We don't put a budget cap on it, but something that's been funded or shot here in Texas and is not distributed um by a major studio. So a, a, a true independent film. Um and I usually introduce that. I, I <coughs> excuse me. I uh I'm part of the committee that each year that goes and scours what's um what's been developed in the state over the year, comes up with the uh the list of nominees, and then I'll be I'll be presenting that tomorrow. Okay, and there's also uh, a couple of new. Um, are, you, are you okay, man? I'm getting over a cold, oh, so I'm I'm trying to keep this in the back of my throat and not override anything. But every so often it erupts. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, well, don't forget there's there's an off button there if you just need to. Yeah. Get out there. Okay. But um, but yeah, let's, there's also a couple of new um, uh awards that's yeah. happening this year that was all the, that was all the rage yeah we uh we added a stunt category i think we're probably the only the only regional group that does a stunt category and i think the only a major um one of, one of the major awards that does it is the sag awards so we have the the hal needham memorial stunt category that's going to be looking at some of the uh the crazy uh Practical stuff, people flying themselves across the screen and off of air ramps and through fireballs and whatnot. So uh, I think um, we picked out John Wick, uh, Fury, which was a really great Vietnamese uh, martial arts action film from the beginning of the year, and uh, Ford versus Ferrari, so Ford v. Ferrari. Um, so some really um, interesting looks and a, and a completely different list than uh, than what the SAG Awards did, So uh, which goes to show kind of what our makeup, our 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 membership thinks of uh, of uh, stunts and what impact they add to movies. Yeah, because there was a big thing about uh, the Oscars. Um, people wanting uh, the Oscars to award uh, yeah stunts. I think that's like the two big things that they don't do that keeps coming up. They don't they don't have a stunt category and they don't do a casting director category. And I know that's come up and down a couple of times over the years. Well, let's get into uh, the nominations because um, there's a lot of nominations. There's, you know, as once again, when this drops, the 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 awards will be given. But um, let's just talk about uh, the the awards from your perspective because um, for our best motion picture, we have uh, we have ten. Films up here. This uh, 1917, Knives Out, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Marriage Story, Parasite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, The Farewell, and Uncut Gems. I think that's a good list. 
Yeah, I think that's a pretty good list. I mean, it's, uh, you know, every year when you start looking at the, the top 10 list from the different film societies and from the different, uh, and from the different um, uh, uh, awards groups that are doing it, there's, there's usually a good number. There's, you know, three to five of them that you're going to see uh, in all of them that just keep popping up over and over again because, uh, because uh, you know, at the very top, you know, there's stuff that's always head and shoulders uh, uh, above everything else. You know, it's not an accident. We keep seeing, like, um, Parasite in, uh, in all of these. Um, um, and I think, you know, we've got a, a big membership. We've got, like, 35 members now, so you've got a lots of different um, points of view to try to pull a, uh, a list that everybody likes out. I, you know, it's one of those things where I there's maybe some movies that, <clears throat> just because they really uh, appeal to me, I would have liked to have seen on the list, but it's hard to uh, it's hard to argue against anything they actually did put on the list. Everything you know, there's nothing on there that's not good and not mm. deserving. Um, they've each got real qualities uh, in their way. Which films would you would you have preferred? Um, there? I would have liked to have seen Booksmart on there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I would like to have seen. I would. I, there's a. Uh, it's really hard. It's really hard to get um, documentaries or, or you know, non um, non um, live action dramas onto a best end of the year list, uh, and that's basically true everywhere. Uh, but there was a documentary I saw this year called uh, For Sama that was uh, that I thought was really incredible. Um, I would really have liked to have seen that in our list um, or anybody's list to to put a spotlight on it, to put a spotlight on the documentary um, as an art form that that doesn't seem to be allowed to break out of its uh, out of its niche the way it should and um, and to maybe differentiate us um, a little bit more from some of the other groups mm-hmm. all right well let's let's slide down here some more because uh, there's a best director of a motion picture we got a uh, uh, Boone John Ho for parasite mm-hmm. Sam Mendes for uh, 1917 uh, Martin Scorsese for the Irishman uh, Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Lulu Wang for The Farewell. And those are all great. I think there's a really good chance um, that uh, you see all of those or, or a lot of those on, um, uh, you know, on your Oscar Best Director ballot when those nominations come out. The only one that's probably going to be tough is Lulu Wang because it's so hard to get female directors nominated, which is too bad because of, of the five films um, that we have nominated for Best Director. I think The Farewell is probably the best of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, they all did fantastic jobs, and I like how it shows the uh, the diversity of what a, a director does. I think um, we tend to, when we tend to think of the director, we tend to think of them, well, they're working with the actors and getting the performances, and then anything else is coming uh, from all the different craftsmen that are working on the movie. And that's all true, but it's also eventually all... Uh, all in service of, of the division of the director and, and uh, they have their hands in all of that and you can kind of see that in all these different pieces from you know the really delicate um, character work that uh, that Lulu Wang's doing on the farewell or it was happening in Parasite versus uh, you know really complex technical work that's happening in something like 1917 um, that requires just as intense but but very different skill set and you can kind of see all the different things a, a director has to be able to do in order to pull that off. And, you know, in a lot of ways, a lot of that coming together into sort of one thing and what Scorsese did with uh, The Irishman. Well, yeah, I, I got to mention, like, in 1917, because 1917 supposedly 
Uh, it's supposed to be one shot, but it's right. not. Right. There's only like a couple of movies I've seen that are one shot that are one shot. That's really tough. And and probably for your lay audience, uh, it, would, it would be kind of boring to watch because you can't move your camera around um, too much. But, um, but um, you know, there was one. Actually, I take that back. There was one a couple of years ago um, um, from Spain. Was it um, Veronica that was legitimately done in one shot? And... Um, and was it was the like Russian arc, yeah. And Russian arc was the, was the one I was specifically thinking of, where yeah. you know, but you're having to you're in a contained place and the camera's moving very slowly, and it's a, um, a lot of dialogue scenes there, trying to keep the number of technical problems that could make them have to restart to a, like a low minimum, um, versus obviously something like 1917 with uh, covering the terrain it does and war scenes and everything there. They're stitching it together and and doing their best to. Uh, to hide the seams and, and usually doing that like really, really well, unless you're like really looking for it. And, um, and every so often they'll, they'll just, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll take an easy way out. They're like, all right, we're going to, we're just going to do this cause it makes our lives easier. We're going to, we're going to move our camera through a window <clears throat> and have the characters suddenly appear, even though he could not possibly have run down those stairs that fat and gotten into position that fast. Um, but you know, you, it's so well done. You, you know, you lose yourself in that. And that is, even though it's not actually one shot, it's a lot of shots. In some ways, that's even more difficult because you're having to keep that final, uh, that, that the, the, what it's actually going to be in your head this whole time while you're getting all of your different bits and pieces, the, the way that you're going to have to do them in order to, uh, to put it together right or else you're going to have to go back and reshoot a bunch of stuff, which nobody ever wants to do. Uh, any director you think should have been in there? Uh, you know, it's, it seems kind of weird, but you know, it's like always the directors and the best picture list line up, which is because how do you have a, a great movie that didn't have, have great direction? So it tends to be a lot of that sort of thing. Um, I, I think Olivia Wilde for, for Booksmart, for what she did with that, for her very first film, um, is, uh, is, um, really, uh, really, um, impressive. Um, and I thought, even though I, I liked the movie. I didn't love it as much as some people, but so the stuff that um, Pedro Moldovar did with Pain and Glory was uh, was really that. Some of his his you know his recent work has been up and down. Some of it's really good. Some of it's um, uh, a little self indulgent. But this was kind of like um, a Moldovar re- like return to form and really showed why he has the reputation he has as a director. Um, I'd like to have seen that represented. But there was a lot of good stuff at the top this year, so it's it's hard to argue with with what we've got. All right, let's get into uh, best performance by an actor in a leading role. Uh, we got Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Adam Driver, uh, Marriage Story, Eddie Murphy for Dolomite Is My Name. I'm surprised, even though I I do think he does he does deserve mm-hmm. all, uh, the, all the accolades and nominations. I'm surprised that a, that a critic. Uh, society was serious enough to give him one. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker and Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. Very unusual collection. Yeah, of Best Actor nominees. Yeah, I, again, it kind of like shows how many different members we have and like all of the different points of view. Because I know there's a big, for instance, there's a big contingent. Uh, that really likes Joker and really appreciates Joker, I, which I do not understand. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't really one of those. Um, although Walking Phoenix did do a really good job with with the role that he had, but it's a tough, 
It's a tough actor. I think, I mean, among what we have, and just like with directors, I'd be very surprised if you don't see several of these repeated in the Oscar nominations when they come out. But I think it's, it's a really tough call between Adam Driver, Eddie Murphy, and uh, Adam Sandler. Um, that's a, it's a really tough pick. I mean, there's are three very different performances doing something um, really different. Um, I lean towards, I, I, I lean a bit more towards Eddie Murphy because he's having to do it within a uh, comedic context, which is harder. We tend to uh, naturally, not just we, like, because you see it in a lot of awards programs, everyone sort of tends to, to lean towards um, dramatic performances and feels like there's something more, there's, there's more gravitas, so there's more effort there. That's why comedic performances almost never win um, acting awards. But it, you know, really, it's it's harder to be able to do both at the uh, the same time. Um, it's real easy to look at something like the uh, the the fight scene between Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story and go, that was that was it, that was amazing, um, and that's a really good scene. It helps to have a really good scene to do to do a good performance, which doesn't take anything away from what Driver did in that movie because he was um, fantastic and. Uh, and Uncut Gems is the, it, it kind of sounds like a low bar or backhanded compliment. It's the best that Adam Sandler's ever been. But he really did, um, he had a great role, but he really did um, an amazing job with that role and the way he just kind of keeps every, keeps the energy up the whole time. And for a really unctuous human being, you go with him and are sympathetic with him for everything he puts himself through. Um, it's really hard to pick all that. I would be, I would be just a little, <laughs> A little disappointed if Eddie Murphy gets the closest he ever would for real acting acknowledgement and he loses to Adam Sandler, but uh, but uh, I rem- all three I of them are really good. I remember when people were were, were saying that Eddie Murphy should have been nominated uh, for the first Nutty Professor. Really? Yeah. I mean it's 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 an impressive job. You know, it's obviously an impressive technical feat. I get. I think it's one of those things where it's like on the one hand, I appreciate the effort that he's doing with all of that and all those characters. On the other hand, I don't like any of them. I mean, if it was going to be something like that, I would assume nominate him for like coming to America or something where I, I actually like all the different, I mean, he's not doing any of them on screen as long, but I like all the different characters he's playing. Well, uh, just, yeah, just, it also, also goes in the whole thing where it's just like, uh, comedy is, is rarely. Yeah. When was the last comedic performance? Was it uh, uh, Fish Called Wanda? Yeah, that's I think. That, well, no, actually, uh, th- still the most hotly contested uh, win in Oscar history was uh, Marissa Tomei, right? Best Port actress, right. My cousin Vinny. My cousin Vinny. Yeah. But then, and you're still talking about some twenty-five. Well, actually, what was that ninety-one? So like twenty. That was like uh, was it, ninety-three. Ninety-three. 93. Yeah, 93. Something like that. So something. Quite a while ago, since then, you know, it was the closest thing to a comedy since then. I guess as good as it gets, just kind of treads treads yeah. that line between comedy and drama, so it's a little easier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get into the actor stuff. Uh, for yeah, uh, nominated six women uh, for a. Uh, we can't make up our minds. Yeah, it was. Uh, Let's start off with a uh, Charlize Theron for uh, Bombshell, Aquafina for The Farewell, Wene Zellweger for Judy, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, Cersei Ronan 
for Little Women and Lapita Nyong'o for us. That's a tougher one. Although this, it seemed like this year wasn't as um, wasn't as tough a year for actress performances as last year, or as tough as the the actor performances. Um, all of those are all of those are really good. I don't think I. It's going to sound mean in a way. I don't mean mean. I don't think any of those are are the best are the actual best actress performances we got. I thought the performances from um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Parasite, Parasite we both had. Um, better, uh, and probably Booksmart. We probably had better leading actress performances than those. Um, I, th- I thought uh, Elizabeth Moss would have been a shoe for, for her smell. smell. Yeah, yeah, she was. She was really yeah. on fire for that movie. Maybe because it was, not so many people saw it, or because I know like a few of our members who saw it, and, and some of the sentiment was it was good. She did a really good job, but it's the type of. You know, it's a story of the, you know the out of control rock star that has been done before. So, but not that this stuff hasn't been done before. Some of this stuff hasn't been done before too. But that's a hard one to pick. Out of all of, of what we nominated, I tell you, I I wasn't a fan of the movie. I really appreciated what Charlize Theron did in Bombshell because she really was doing. I only want to say she was doing like a Megan Kelly impersonation because it really felt like she turned into Megan Kelly. Um, well, I mean, that was kind of like the thing, yeah. especially her and Nicole Kidman. Yeah. She, they, they basically looked so much like they, the people they they were playing. Yep. They just played into and it. And what she did with her voice and dropping her voice an octave, but not in a way it just sounded like a weird, a bad imitation, but like she was she was being um, that character. Um, they were all really good. Probably, this is probably because of I like the movie, Um what Aquafina did in in the farewell was really impressive. That might not be fair in, in just that we've mainly seen her doing kind of comedy and comedic supporting roles or comedic main roles till now. So it's, uh, so it, it feels like a revelation when you see someone who's only ever done comedy suddenly um, suddenly showing that they can do something else. But but uh, what she did was really impressive. Yeah. Uh, you want to get into the supporting people? Yeah. Uh, best performance by an actor in a supporting role. Uh, it's a rogue or role. Either way. Okay. <laughs> I just sad rogue coming through here. Um, Willem Dafoe for The White Lighthouse, which I still haven't seen. Um, Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes, another one I still haven't seen. Um, Al Pacino for The Irishman. Mm. Joe Pesci for The Irishman. And Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I really like that we nominated The Lighthouse because a lot of people, kind of like you were saying, a lot of people probably won't see it. It's a it's a very um, unique kind of mercurial thing. Not really that I won't see it. I haven't seen it yet. Right. I, I, I think almost you will. saw it one night when I couldn't get into the Terminator Dark Fate screening. You uh, would have been better off watching The Lighthouse. Yeah, I know. Just like, uh, Damien almost said, hey, you want to see something else? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just like too pissed right now. Right. But, um, no, I know you'll see it, but a lot of people probably won't. You know, it'll it'll get its home on streaming, and hopefully, people will find it there the way they have they've found some of um, Dave Edgar's other movies. Because um, it's very, you know, it's not going to be even if it's sold as a horror movie, it's not going to be your average person's idea of a horror movie. You know, a movie in black and white with just two actors in a lighthouse yelling at each other for ninety minutes. Um, but it's great. Well, you know. It's got very uh, stylized dialogue and very stylized delivery, and uh, 
Willem Dafoe pulls off very well. And I was just because I little kids, I was just watching him this week in a in a Disney movie, you know, um, kids movie about a sled driver that he stars in. And it's not that many actors that can go from this from something like The Lighthouse to that, and you're and you're you and you go with them, you know. In one of those, you feel like this is one of these things does not belong here, but. Mm. He's got like that, and he can do you know Wes Anderson movies and be dry and funny, and he can do superhero movies, and he can do. He's really you know even in something like the Florida Project, which is being very like cinema verite, and you keep going, but that's Willem Dafoe. I believe every but he but he still like folds himself into it and fits into it. He's got uh, got a lot of range that way, and actually you reminded me of the two popes by bringing up that because that was like one. If I could squeeze one more person in one of these, not not so much Anthony Hopkins, but what. Um, Jonathan uh, Price did in the two. Jonathan Price was excellent in the lead role in the Two Popes, and I'm sure he will. We will see him get plenty of recognition from other places. But I wish we've been able to find a spot for him. I'm still uh, kind of pissed because uh, the uh, somebody I feel like I, I, I know Brad Pitt, of course, I think is a yeah. going to be a lock for winning everything for best supporting actor because that's a good. Uh, performance he did but um one of my personal faves is uh wesley snipes oh and uh dolomite is my yeah. name yeah well it's good seeing him you know go go out and and be goofy like that you know he spent even before he even before he he uh disappeared from screens for for a long time you know he had spent so much of his career uh um, focusing on his his action hero, because I guess that's where the money was. Action hero, leading man side. You almost forget about the years when he would do stuff like um, Major League or even White Man Can't. And you feel like, no, this man, he can do. Yeah, he can do serious drama, which he doesn't do a lot. He can do action movies, which he does a lot of. But he can do really goofy character stuff and do it really well. And uh, I liked, I really liked that take. Um, I I probably had. I probably had deeper belly laughs from some of his line readings, actually, than some of Eddie's line readings in Dolomite. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go on to best uh, performance by an actress in a supporting role. Another s- six uh, yep. woman category. Uh, Kathy Bates and Richard Jewell. Laura Dern in Marriage Story. Scarlett Johansson. For Jojo Rabbit, uh, Florence Pugh in Little Women, Margot Robbie in Bombshell, and oh god, uh, let me—I hope I'm doing this right. Zash Zen in The Farewell. Let me just start off by saying, well, why the hell are y'all nominated Margot Robbie for Bombshell when there's another performance that she did, which is very, which is. A uh, very controversial performance because, of course, she didn't have any main lines. Oh, in Once Upon a Time in Mexico, yeah, in um, Hollywood. I, you know what? I will give it to this one. I think she had not just har- something harder. I mean, what she actually did in in Hollywood was hard, harder than you would think for someone who's on screen but not talking um, very much. But I, what she did in Bombshell, I thought it was actually. M- or let's say her best scenes in Bombshell, I think, were better than her best scenes in Hollywood, where um, you know she really has to do some complex stuff without. She has to get the emotion up, but she can't go 
too far with it or it becomes something really silly. Um, her scene with, with John Lithgow is really like gut-wrenching. And a lot of that's just on her where she's going back and forth between underplaying it and overplaying it. Um, then she later has a phone call, uh, a split scene with Kate McKinnon that's really, really gut-wrenching. And she really landed both of those. Probably those, are, for me, those are probably like the two most powerful mo moments in that movie. Um, and I can't say the same for... I really like a lot of her scenes in, in Hollywood, but I can't... The, the ones that really stick with me in Hollywood weren't necessarily uh, her scenes. I just uh, can't get over, especially for her character, because her character plays somebody who does not exist. So it's just like right. this weird amalgam of things where it's just like she's a, uh, I don't know, a young conservative Christian who's... Uh, also kind of a lesbian. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, what, what, what the fuck is all this? Who's rethinking at the end what she's, you know, she's like what the film, the kind of person the filmmakers really wish had been there amongst all of this, but wasn't. So yeah. They make their yeah, wish fulfillment so version. Like, yeah. It's almost like, you know, she, she's a good actress, but like, they, like they, they didn't really give her much to work with. Mm. It's just like this, yeah, it's this character who is all this guy, all this stuff. So just try to make a make a performance out of it. You know what? I think that really shows more than anything else. That shows what an actor can do. It's like one of my like my pet peeves because a lot of the time, we as much as anything else, we reward the role because um, good roles make for really good performances. Um, it's um, but that's because they're good roles, you know, um, um, and a good. Uh, there, which means there's probably more than one actor who could come in and be do an award-winning performance if the role is good enough. But it, it really shows you um, an actor's skill if they can come into something that's okay and or bad, you know, and you, you, you end up with something like Tom Hardy and Venom where you have somebody who's really good, who's been given something really bad, and he's like, I am going to make something out of this um, that whole movie skill. was full of people who, who you know, really, Michelle Williams yep. and all this stuff. Riz Ahmed, yeah. Yep. So, you want, want to talk about any other? What this is? This is good. This is like whatever stuff you want to talk about because uh, there's Answer. some more. <coughs> Sorry about that. Okay, I, I hope. I hope. I don't know that that wasn't caught on the mic, but I heard it. But um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, I mean, there is. Uh, I guess after that. Go to best screenplay, best animated feature, which was uh, if if I lost my body, does not win best animated feature <laughs> with the shit show of animated features. It wasn't like a great animated category, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of Disney movies and not a lot of like else. I know, actually, I I, I would be surprised if it doesn't. At least among our members, I know we have a lot of members that really loved. I lost my body. I wasn't as crazy about it as some of our other members, but I know a lot of people really did. But yeah, there's not like there's not a lot after that. Uh, and there's a lot of good animation that, uh, but it because that isn't like you know widely released studio stuff, which tends to be more um, family friendly. You know, the classic idea of what animation should be just never gets seen. 
Um, or, and we end up, so we end up voting for a Pixar movie every year or something like that. Some of which are really good. You know, I've had some Pixar movies be, uh, be my, my favorite movie, my number one movie of a given year out of everything. But, but this was not one of those, um, you know, Leica made a really great stop motion movie like they do regularly in Missing Link that I don't think anybody saw and the stuff that everybody I did. I saw it. Yeah. Well, I know you saw, you see everything. So I knew you had to have seen it. Did you like it? No. No. I thought it was just like too. It's like one of those movies where they just try to create shit just to create shit. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Like, like, like I just realized a lot of animated films really try to create sort of this broad situations, broad situations just to build up the story where instead of just letting the story happen. Like, I feel that a lot of people, like, when it comes to, like, certain, when it comes to movies, it's like, there's this idea that a lot of shit has to happen or right. people be interested, just not, just, just not letting the stories, I don't know, maybe because I'm a writer, I just, like, just have this idea, just like, you know, this, this could happen here and just, like, and all, I mean, they you gotta, understand, just like. Yeah, no, they got to rationalize, we got, especially on something, like stop motion where we got all these people working all this stuff we got to justify it we're not going to spend we're not going to have 30 people in here to have a scene with two characters talking because that's really that's as complicated to do as uh as a boat crashing into an iceberg when you're doing stop motion so we might as well do the boat crashing into the iceberg or we've come up with and there were probably there were definitely some scenes that and you see these you know in in a lot of studio movies there's maybe more like something you'd see in an action movie where they came with a bit where it, I'm like, it looks very much like you came up with this visual gag first and then you reverse engineered how to get it into the story as opposed to just getting to it and then coming up with an interesting way to, to visualize it. And I may be wrong about that. I'd probably get like a note from, from the filmmakers going, no, we, did it, did, we didn't do it that way at all. It's just how it feels watching it. Um, and there was some stuff in that, especially I was watching it feeling like, well, it's like this is really a movie made for like twenty-five-year-olds who are never going to watch it. So you're putting in a bunch of stuff for uh, for the twelve-year-olds who might go watch it, and they're just ramming against each other. And it, and some bits of it don't make a lot of sense, but enough of it did that I really that I generally really enjoyed it. It wasn't my favorite my favorite uh, uh, animated film of the year. I can't really get anybody to watch, which was um, this magnificent cake, which is this really. It was a short stop motion short also oh. with everything out of yarn about colonization of the Belgian Congo and uh, and and a bunch of uh, people who go there to make money and and does not go well for them and it's only like forty five minutes long but it's extremely well done and um, everything you'd want out of an animated film but it's the kind of thing that's really hard to show to people because it's not what most people think of as uh, as what an animated film should be. Yeah, but like the big studio category this year was just, I've been over, uh, it makes me sound heartless, I've been over the Toy Story films since I really liked the first Toy Story, but I never really wanted to see any of the others. Um, I, th- I, th- I, th- I still think Toy Story 3 is like the best way they should have, they could have ended that because it was just like, it was it was uh, just like a whole saga in a way because yeah. it's like, you know, it just, I don't want to reveal the ending, but right. it sounds like it just shows how boy really yeah. grows out of his toys and just moves on. I just thought of this perfect trilogy, and then it reached the fourth one. It almost, in a way, it seems, in thinking, it seems like Toy Story 4 is what 
is to to the uh, Toy Story fans with Rise of Skywalker. It did it seem like that. Just like, why? Bit. Why is it still here? I felt like that, and similar that I felt with with Frozen too. Where it was just like, all right, somewhere along the line, someone's decided we're going to make it. Now there's a clock ticking. We got to figure out what it is we're going to make, but we've only got. We can't just wait until we figure that out because we've got a release date. So we're just gonna we're gonna make it. We're gonna come up with our best ideas we can in the time we have, and hope uh, and hope that's something. So it's just and it's just inert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both of them are like that. So yeah. Uh, okay, let's let's we can move on to best cinematography. What I call our. Our, uh, Roger Deakins, Roger Deakins yeah, Award, because we always give it to. I mean, and Roger Deakins is a really good cinematographer, but it's like we've become a Roger Deakins. We're like the opposite of the Academy. If he shoots a movie in a given year, we're going to give him the award. And, and there's so, and so many other great. I mean, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has yeah. Robert Richardson, yeah. and he's especially for that film. Yeah, I think like if if that film doesn't win the cinematography or even the production design, yeah. It's just like for the Oscars. It's just, it's, it's, you know, something something's wrong. Nobody saw that movie and saw how how much care was taken just in those two areas. That's the kind of thing where I think maybe the the Oscars have it a bit over us because I suspect at least one of those it's going to get some love in because the people who who live there and work in that field and can look and see like what they had to go through to recreate that time and place and get that look out of it. Um, they'll know, and I feel like we get, we are a little bit too much into this of oh the the super clean, Roger Deakins look and um and you know and he did you know he had to do some really technically complex stuff in 1917 and there are some really good shots in it especially during like the whole bombing sequence over the the ruined city that one character has to run through, but um but you know there's more than one way a movie can look mm-hmm. and we can't just be sitting here and saying it's, it's, you know, in our last 10 years, the, you know, we've either given the award to, uh, to Roger Deakins or Emmanuel Lubezki mm-hmm. when Roger Deakins wasn't around. The only one we've given that wasn't that was to Alfonso Cuaron last year where he was doing his best trying to make his movie look like Emmanuel Lubezki shot it. So yeah. I feel like it's this kind of, uh, we, we really only want movies to look like in this, this, specific way and, and there's lots of different there's lots of other options mm-hmm. well uh, we got a best documentary feature uh, another uh, six categories american factory apollo 11 biggest low farm for sama hell satan they shall not grow old and uh i know you yeah you this know, for sama yeah that and Apollo Eleven, um, mm-hmm. and I saw They Shall Not Grow Old last year, and I really like I really like it. I really like what they did with it. Wait, wait, when did you see it last year? They had it. They did it in theaters. They had a, they had like limited theatrical release last year. It actually played here in Houston for a short period of time. Oh wait, a minute. I just realized we're doing this on New Year's Day, and you're already oh, I'm sorry. like, I'm, I'm, like I'm, oh shit, they happened last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah it did. Yeah, it did happen last, last year. year. Really? Oh but shit, I, mean, it's I should New say, I mean, I know, I know, I'm so out of it. Um, no, I mean, the, in the very, all right, is the, well, I guess here in Houston, that's always the tricky thing. Cause we, we do stuff based on when it opens here in Houston or when we've seen it. So here in Houston, I think it actually opened, uh, maybe in like January of, yeah. uh, of 2019, something like that. I'm, um, I'm, 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 I'm still kind of, uh, but I tend to think of it as a 2018 movie. That's yeah. when everybody was watching it. 
But but it did play here. It did. 2019. Yeah, so. it, it it played in Houston in like the very beginning of 2019. Yeah, my my favorite documentary feature, which is uh, Amazing Grace. Yeah, which I don't really even cool. know if people out because it was made in the 70s, mm-hmm. and then it played briefly at Film Form in New York. Yep. In uh, like in 2018, and also yep. played in L.A. somewhere. So it's just yep. like people don't know whether to say is it 2018 movie. Or it's two, the same thing. Fin- as yeah, they finally played. Which one is it? Is it a 2018 movie? Is it a 2019 yeah. movie? Yeah, Neon yeah. finally picked it up and mm-hmm. distributed it in 2019. So it's just, but I just I finally saw it in 2019. So I've been wanting to. Like, uh, that was one of the. I think that was the only, um, the only uh, 2018 movie. I hadn't seen yet that we got to the end. I was very glad it was in the neon list because I remember it was on the, it was on like the Metacritic top ten for 2018, and you couldn't see it anywhere because no one had picked up, no one had picked up. Um, yeah, didn't have a distributor distribution yet. or anything. Yeah. I had actually at the end, when we were doing the award show last year, I had reached out to the producers to see if we could get um, just a copy for us to see so we could consider it for last year's documentary awards and and. Uh, I didn't get any response back. I called um, a film forum myself and I just like, what's up, man? What's, what's going on with this? Yeah. Just... So it was really hard to see. I was really glad it was in that neon pack because it was just one of those things where it's too bad. There's a lot of movies like that each year where unless you're unless you're either in like New York or LA or you're or you're going to a lot of the film festival circuit stuff, stuff that probably will be the best or among the best, you're just it's just gonna never get distributed and you're never gonna get a chance to see it. Yeah, can you say like uh, you know, the Amazing Grace happened, and also I don't know if you saw this, but just like there was this uh, release of this uh, documentary, "Say Amen, Somebody," Mm-mm. which was about uh, you know gospel singers, hmm. like almost like they just this this because it came out in the eighties, mm-hmm. and uh, just uh, just just following a lot of uh, people who are just in the gospel scene like some of the more uh, notable people. I thought that was almost like a good little, it could be a nice little double feature. Yeah. They have Amazing Grace that to say amazing. amen somebody, which yeah. we played in, I think it, it may have played at the Museum of Fine Arts. But yeah. Was, yeah. And that's again, like one of those night things that it's going to come and go so mm-hmm. fast and with almost no publicity, you'll be, unless you're really looking for it. Yeah. You'll never get it. You'll never know it was there, much less get a chance to see it. Yeah. Uh well I, I uh best foreign language film because it's like it's Atlantics it's uh, Cobra's Christi Les Les Miserables Mono's Pain and Glory Parasite let's let's be let's keep it real it's gonna be Parasite so. it's gonna be hundred percent be Parasite I am and we got it I wish more people I am a I am a little shocked that Portrait of a Lady on Fire did not make this list yeah um it's, versus it's a, Stuff you know, I mean, there's other good stuff on there. That Corpus Christi, I, I was really impressed by, but um, you know, th- nothing against Atlantics or was Monos one of those you mentioned? Yeah, or, yeah, nothing against Atlantics or or, or Atlantiques or, or Monos, which are both fine films, but Richard Lady on Fire was superior to both of those. And also, last year was a good year for uh, films coming out of Asia, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. It was not just Parasite, but uh, let's see. Uh, he had a long day's journey in the night. Yep. Shadow, yep. the latest Zane Emo film. Um, uh, what was it? Ashes, Pierce White. Yep. Which a lot of people, we, uh, um, 
didn't get. I mean, those are the ones that unfortunately didn't get like a big. It's gotten like a, a an awards push to big at, at like the big award stuff, but not to regionals, which is too bad. It's so, on uh, canopy. So <laughs> yeah, so now people are going out and fine. I see a lot of people, uh, a lot of people evangelizing for it, and yet no one's really good, getting a chance to go out and see it. Well, well, that's the thing with movies. Period. Yeah, especially around where we live, as is like you could tell people, "Hey, go see this movie," but are you gonna see it? It's like cause people act like. Yeah, you know, even yeah, you because know, that's you know people with move on to streaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't really get you know DVDs are gone or obsolete. Yep, and so people are just at home streaming stuff. They're certainly not going out to actual theaters. Yeah, shit. So you could say, hey, go to this streaming site and watch this or whatever. It's just like, but are people going to be interested in any of that? No, you know it's it's. It's it's weird what it takes to break through to break through the clutter. I remember when I um, uh, and this is like a ten year old anecdote now. I think it was what like two thousand nine, and um, and like some friends of mine were asking about uh, as we were getting into award season, like what's going to be, what's good or what's going to win the awards, which is not always the same thing. But and I you know um, I had mentioned it's not it's not a movie. I'm it's not one of my favorite movies. But I, I told them like. Well, if you if you want to see the awards, the award movie, you know, Sandra Bullock is a hundred percent gonna gonna win for The Blind Side. Go watch that because that's the person who's gonna win the the Oscar because that's the kind of thing that Oscar gives things to. And people kind of shrug. They're just like, well, I don't know. I'm like, well, you know, you asked, you want to know what's out now that's gonna be the Oscar movie. That's the one, um, and nothing. And then like four months later, she won the Oscar movie, and then everyone was like, oh, hey, yeah, I, and they, the same people were like. I'd like to. Didn't you mention that to me? I'd like to see that. Like, yeah, I mentioned that to you four months ago, and you couldn't be bothered. But now that it, what I told you was going to happen actually happened, uh, you know. And this is for you know a fifty million dollar studio movie with a major movie star in it, with tons of advertising, and uh, and people just would like, eh, too much trouble. What's the point? So I mean, you just mentioned Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which yeah. I think is a great movie too. But it's just. Even as, even as I was watching it, it is a two-hour movie yep. about uh, two women in love. Yep. Period piece. Yep. In French. A, yeah, in French. Yep. Set on a like a house, like with, with a mansion or whatever yep. castle, on a overlooking a cliff. Yep. And. <laughs> Yeah, you know, just thinking from my per- perspective, like niggas aren't gonna see that shit. Nope. <laughs> Nobody's gonna sit. How, to you gonna, a- how do you get it down to like an elevator pitch that sounds like something that somebody? Uh, and especially, would there, see? there's no actual. It's about women love, but there's no les- really no hardcore lesbian sex. Mm-hmm. Like blue is the warmest color. No. Like at least with blue is the warmest color, they say like, dude. They're like there's like some scenes where where two women are like going at it hardcore. Mm. Even the handmaiden that was another right. one like yeah, there's there's scissoring and everything. Right, but you can't you can't say you can't no. Tell this people. is like a you know it's it's a period romantic drama that just happens to be about two women. So it's mm-hmm. got you know it's that and it's hard. I mean, try to get somebody to go to a regular period romantic drama that's in English that mm-hmm. they don't have to read subtitles for. Yeah, like that because isn't that what people complain about with yeah. little women? It's yeah. Yeah, that it's, you know, although it seems to be finding an audience, which I'm really happy for, because I really, really like this. For, this is, I think, the best version of Little Women that's been put on screens. But uh, I, I got to keep it real. That is, you know, 
shout out to Greta Gerwig and everyone uh, who uh, well with that. But just that is that's got to be the most white womany movie. Oh, for sure, I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Just, that movie's so white womany. I thought I saw a scene where they were all drinking uh, out of metal straws. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's you know about a bunch of. of middle-class women in middle America in the 19th century. It's about as, uh, it's a, it's about as waspy as you can get. And they say, I, I, I love Greta, how Greta tried to keep it woke. Like there, yeah. there's like a couple of scenes where I saw, actually saw a black woman right. in it. Just, just, just in it. And just like, yeah, yeah, shout out to Greta for keeping it woke. Yep. Wasn't well, that like, that's the, um, the, uh, the, um, when you're doing period now is like the real, the real question like how do you know like how do we do it do we do it just just uh period just what we think it was where there's a lot of discrimination and there's you know it's really just going to be white people because they're the only ones who would have had money and would have had station and would have been involved in any of these matters or do we make it look like what our our cultural makeup is now and um you do something like they did last year with another short Sharona movie with um um, um, uh, what was it? The the Mary Queen of Scots, wow. where they would have you know they they took a black actor and made him you know a, a British duke because okay we're just we're just gonna do that and they had another they had an I Asian. I saw that movie. There are yeah. black people in it. Yeah, I yeah, forgot. yeah. Yes, there are. I forgot so much about it. Yeah, they just were like you know it's not like a lot, but there they had a, they had an Asian actress as one of Queen Elizabeth's handmaidens who would have been you know just some probably white Protestant lady and they. You know, and they were just like, we're going to use the actors we have here, regardless of, of whether it's what they would have actually looked like at the time. So it seems like there's always that, you know, which do we do? Do we make it like it was, or do we make it like it is now? It's funny. It's funny because I yesterday I was at some place and they were playing a Christmas story, mm -hmm. and uh, they were they had they had the scene in one of the classrooms, and there was black kids in the classroom. And Christmas Story came out in '83, right? And so, like, there's so there's always been like people trying to, you know, be woke even then. Just like, hey, you know, just gonna throw some some black kids in here, right? It's gonna be a little bit here and there, yeah. very much everything of everything, very much of the time when it's made. So, especially as you look back at stuff like that or stuff that's older than that, where it seems to fall into, it's either it's either we're going to be, it's what the entire movie is going to be about, and we're going to make a giant statement about it, and yeah. you know it's going to be in the heat of the night or something, or it's not going to exist at all because well, that's the time that well, we were made it in. Well, that's 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 the question because got me thinking of like what uh, do you prefer? What do you prefer uh, movies that are uh, kind of stick with that sensibility that hey. You know, good chance white people weren't around. You just or prefer they just like drop a a, a diamond hung su in there, like or like when when Morgan Freeman was in Robin Hood, Prince right. of Thieves, right? Just like <laughs> there's a comedian named Steve White. He said, "There's no brothers hanging out with <laughs> Robin Hood." Just, yeah, you know, I'm fine with it. I think it, you know, you get the 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 right actor for the right thing. I think you know we. And in general, if you like look at, um, it seems weird because you kind of got to think about uh, of what the place was when a movie was made. But we have mostly in movies, we tended to make them whatever was happening 
when we, especially for period, we've made it like what the world is now, not like it was then. You know, we even in our even in like the the Errol Flynn Robin Hood movies, um, they still for the most part they had people talking like they talked in the 30s. So quote unquote now they didn't make it they didn't make it too period. They made it just period enough that you can believe in it, but not make it too period. So I think I feel like this is just sort of um, a natural evolution of that. Um, I have every once in a while heard, you know, overheard someone come out of a movie saying, like, I couldn't believe in it because that person would never have been that Duke or that's not what that person looked like or something like that. But um, uh, me personally, no, you know, I'm fine with it. Um, it's not even like the period piece movies with me. It's like whatever. But it's just the contemporary movies. Yeah, like when they did, like, Michael B. Jordan in Fantastic Four or... Um, or, well, you were or the, thinking the like Daredevil, the like, Ben Affleck Daredevil or something. Well, no, it's like when, <laughs> this is a strange example, it was like, I think, wasn't there like a, there's a Ashton Kutcher movie where, where, where Ludacris was one of his friends? And then make a big deal out of it, like, oh, Ludacris is at, like this. They were making a big deal, I don't. Like Ludacris is in the movie, and it's like, oh, he's supposed to be like the black friend who mm. said, oh, you better not do that, and mm. just. But it's just one of those things. I always want to see a movie where it's just like different groups of different types of people just just just, just doing shit together yeah. for some reason. And gotta make it a big deal. Like have like oh, a, you like if they're gonna have someone who's like the black friend, they're like oh, we're gonna put a we're gonna put a thumb on it. We can like no, he's the black friend. And yeah, we're gonna, or, we're or gonna the gay lean friend. In, oh, that's the, always yeah. like the gay. We're gonna lean into a lot of stereotypes and cliches, and oh. we're gonna make jokes about it and stuff. Well, there's also like I don't know how you roll. I don't know yeah. what kind of people you roll with on the on the daily. Just, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's like a, a thing you just di- you think about where it's just like, do I know the uh, the right amount? Yeah, disregarding me, of course. Right. But uh, just I don't know how generally you are with other minorities or other groups of mm. people. No, yeah, I try to. Um, a lot of it's 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 like where, who who is around you and where are you where you where where you're around? Actually, I I, like I think it's pretty. Um, pretty mixed um though that's just been sort of um uh just been sort of the way it's worked out because i've i've happened to work with like a lot of minorities because in the different jobs i've had so those are the people i'm around like eight hours a day every day so um those end up being the people that i know um in the context of movies yeah i think i think it sounds real simple to say the right actor for the right role because the reality is there's a lot of potential right actors for the right role. So you do have to have um, of different races. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Reads. You know, there's they're gonna eat, you know you might have like a white actor, an Asian actor, a black actor who each one of them do the role well. They may do it slightly differently, but they're any one of them is going to be able to do it well. So it goes beyond just um, the right the quote unquote the right actor for the right role. That means you have some sort of idea in your mind coming in about who this about what this this role is supposed to be um so yeah you've got to be prepared to i think yeah you've got to be prepared to to uh um for the person who's casting to to draw a wider net and give us a uh give us a a a, a you know more diverse on-screen presence so, and but not in a way where that's what it's about it just has to it has to happen organically we're talking about trying to make something that needs to be organic happen inorganically by doing it um, um, very much uh, uh, consciously. But 
with the time you do that, you ha you can't act on screen like you've done it consciously. It just has to be um, allowed to exist, and you just have to have those. This this role could have been anybody, but it's this particular actor. It's like you know John Boyega. There's probably a lot of guys who could have done what John Boyega did in in Star Wars. I mean, he's well, probably not a lot because you need somebody with a lot of charisma and, and who can do that leading role, leading man role. Um, but there are lots of different. You know, they could have put a Hemsworth or someone, you know, those kinds of guys you see in, in Marvel movies and into that and probably would have done fine. Um, but the fact that they got someone who's just as good as that but could do that and had to make that conscious choice but then didn't make like a deal out of it. And that's kind of where you got to be. And then when you also have other characters of other nationalities, of course, like Rose Tico, yep. try to present a positive uh, image and apparently Star Wars fans aren't into that shit. Right. But you got to just bury her in the next movie. Right. I've said it before and I'll say it again. White people have ruined Star Wars. They've ruined the whole goddamn thing. <laughs> Behind franchise. the camera or in front of or, or, or the or the Both fans. motherfuckers. <laughs> they have, like they took what could have been a, just like a nice little fun ride. Right. And they just made it into this. First of all, and this is going to piss off the, the two, three people listening. But uh, just I was never a big fan of Star Wars, even as a kid. Now watch out. I'm a man who just wrote 20,000 words about Star Wars. So Why would you do that? Because it's, it's a formative thing for me that I love a lot. I just love it a lot. Okay. Well, I don't. And That's just, fine. Even, even as a kid, I, saw, I went to see the – I think I saw, I'm, I'm one of these people that, that sees the sequels, the movies, before I see the first film. Right. And The Empire Strikes Back was one of those uh, sequels that I saw first. And even as, as I was watching, I must have been, first of all, <laughs> my mother, I'll never forget because we were late. Yep. So I didn't see the whole opening sequence when Luke lands on the the, the, the ice mm. planet, Hoth, what is it for? Yep. And just, uh, just hangs out there. So just like we go in the theater and I'm watching it and I'm just like, okay, nigga. Just like, all right, Luke's, you know, Darth Vader's your father, whatever. Mm. I'm like, I'm not fucking, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm four or five years old, whatever. So it's just like, it, Star Wars, I was never as vested, invested in it as so many other people. Mm -hmm. And so when all this shit happens, you know, with the special editions mm. in 97 and the prequels mm -hmm. and, and then this new, and all these other things happen, I'm not, I'm not as into it as so many other people. It's, it's, well, you're it's, probably that, the lucky the... one because the people who are just like, it's a formative, for the people who really are like, it's a formative part of my young, my 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 childhood and it can never be changed um, or else something's been ruined or really setting themselves up for a lot of pain for no reason whatsoever. Who are like, oh, this is different than what it used to be. Um, I hate it. It's got to be this specific thing and i i'm only happy when specific nostalgia buttons are pushed and it and i'm reminded of one very specific thing you don't let the you don't let the thing itself grow or change and then you hate everything that anybody attempts with it and you're just making yourself miserable for no reason it's the thing that always gets i just i realized this like earlier last year since it's new year's day recording this on just like the whole concept of the star wars universe was that happen they say it at the beginning of every movie mm -hmm. uh a long upon, time ago a long time ago galaxy, galaxy far, far, far away, far away. Yep. so literally everything that's happening 
is essentially old fucking news. Right. So why do you give a shit about whether or not, you know, the, especially with the, all the stuff happened last Jedi? I, like, right. I don't even get all the hatred. It's just like it's just another goddamn movie. It's just like a progression in a, in a series where it's just like all this stuff that happens, you know, where they did the whole thing about like the force being mm -hmm. like anybody can have the force mm -hmm. or just and and people just getting up in arms about it. Yes. It's, it's, it's yeah. people who, you know, it, it, it really, I think a lot of that is really is like a big part of people's childhoods and they got, and for some of us who've watched it, all the original ones a lot, you know, they've, it's, 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 you know, made like very specific memory patterns in our brain. And when those are disrupted, when something doesn't go along with the way we think those are, Oh, the cognitive dissonance gets really, um, is really upsetting and it makes people really upset and they start to get a lot of feelings of ownership about it and a lot of feelings of it has to be this one way. Star Wars is not the only thing that that's ever been a part of. It's just a really, especially within film, it's it's the biggest one um, or has been the biggest one over a bunch of the last few decades. And I say that as someone, I'm, I'm a very weird old school um, Star Wars fan, who, someone, one of those guys who has seen it a lot and loves it a lot and has probably thought about it way more than... Um, than I should have, but have no feelings of nostalgia for it. Don't like things being repeated and wish it was something different than what it was. Or what it is, I should say. Well, that's, that's the thing, because maybe just me, because I've experienced disappointment throughout my whole goddamn mm -hmm. existence. I mean, just even as a kid, it's just like I just knew disappointment was the thing, so you shouldn't be... You know, just <laughs> and have this very That's terrible uh, pessimistic. It makes me very sad. Oh, nigga, this is this is this is how I live. This is how I roll. I'm sorry. Maybe it wasn't for you because you know shit happens to you or whatever. It shit happens to you, but it's just like I think that's a, a huge part of it. There's like mm -hmm. a lot of people don't experience. Uh, disappointment. This is like the first, the, the, a bad for them, a bad Star Wars movie is like the first real disappointment. So when they, that they've when they, ever had, like when they see the something like the Last Jedi, mm -hmm. and it's not to their expect expectations. Like for me, I was just like, whatever, nigga, it's another Star Wars movie, and everybody was just like, oh my god, how could they do this? I'm like, right. well, it's the movies. What the what the fuck is wrong with you? What is like you? <laughs> Like you, it it just didn't it's, make any people, sense way, to me. It's a way of life for some people who don't really have anything else to do. Maybe I don't know. Um, it's definitely a way of life for some people. I also was very much oh, it's just a Star Wars movie. Um, I wasn't mainly because I haven't been particularly on board with with the sequel movies or what they were trying to do with them. But it doesn't help that they keep changing what they're doing, and you get stuff like. Uh, Rise of Skywalker, which really does feel like it's trying to play to that old school audience of here is exactly what we think you want. Please like me. Please, please like me. Can't, can't, uh, you can't like anyone who begs for attention that much, begs for approval that much. Yeah. Wait, so you telling me you've never had any disappointing shit happen to you? Oh, in I, your childhood or anything like that. You never sure. like. I sure have. Like I what? Was, but it was probably petty, penny annie stuff. It was it was 
mostly fine. Um, you know, it's it's going to be really goofy middle class. A girl I really liked wouldn't go out with me kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, your yeah. parents never told you, hey, we're going to ask the world tomorrow and you don't. Nothing quite like that. Oh, you know. okay. Yeah, there was I maybe like... Um, yes, your parents had it good. I don't know. Yeah. Like when y'all go to Astroworld, you say, hey, we're going to Astroworld. And then, we, and then we go to Astroworld. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not unless, you know, something... Only if, if it was like, you know, everybody has things that come up and they're like, oh, we were going to go do this, but the car broke. This broke, so we're not going to be able to. And you go, all right, that's the... But, that's the way life is sometimes, but most of the time, yeah. If, the, if they said we're going to go to Astroworld, we went so, to Astroworld. So, I guess you've led you've led a privileged existence. I think so. I, I, I I'm aware of it, especially I think about it a lot when I uh, look at some of the movies. I'm looking in some of the things. So, yeah, I've been a pretty um, I had a, a pretty good middle class life. I wasn't uh, flying on jets or getting wasn't or you know given. A, a new Mercedes for my 16th birthday or anything like that. But, you know, the stuff my parents, you know, had two good parents, had a house, went to good, you know, decent public schools, um, had good friends. And, you know, like the stuff that, you know, they tried to do their, their best for us were, you know, fight, you know, put presents under the tree at Christmas and birthday parties and uh, the stuff they said they were going to do. They, they, they did their best to make sure that actually happened. All right, we get it. You're better than me. <laughs> and uh, you, you, do you still that? Well, I guess I need to ask this now. Um, how many movies you seen last year? Well, this year I cooled off some. I, I did not. I, I, I intentionally Cause the, cause did the, not. Uh, the I the I last time I spoke to you in a podcast setting, you said you saw like over eight hundred movies. And I was like, "How and why you yeah. did that?" And you just and you all said like, "Oh well, I, well, I put it on. I just, I sometimes I'll be in the kitchen cooking, and I'll be yeah. doing my laundry, and like, well, you're not necessarily watching the movie; you just have it on." But it's like, you know, I'm watching them. Are you watch, you're watching? Like, I I did a test because I I've had that same thought. So I would, uh, you know, some some movies you definitely need to watch more closely than others, um, but um, a lot of like fine middle of the road studio entertainment i did in that test where i watched it while i was doing something else i'm like maybe i didn't get everything out of it so i went and watched it again doing nothing else paying attention i'm like nope i got everything out of it it didn't need this movie did not need a hundred percent of my attention to give me everything it had um and a lot of movies and which it was just not a knock against those movies a lot of movies are just kind of like fun um light entertainment they're making sure that uh, they repeat all of their major beats three times so you don't miss it, um, things like that. And you, you, there's not like a huge amount of subtlety in them. Um, but I definitely, I, I think this year it was just a little under 600 is what I watched. 600 movies. Yeah. yeah. I got a list that I've been making my way through. And then I, and I add stuff to the list regularly. Um, so like last year I, I finished them. Um, I finished the 1001 movies you must watch before you die. And um so then I was just like, all right, I'm going to watch all of the uh all of the uh Oscar screenplay nominees that they've ever had just to see uh, cuz some a lot of that stuff is is like lost isn't the right word, but it's like stuff that's not in the uh 
cultural conversation. There's a lot of like good movies you can you can stumble across that way that probably no one's really thought about outside of like hardcore film enthusiasts have thought about in uh, in like 20 or 30 years because it's uh, it's just you know not considered a classic or whatever, so they just disappear. And like you know we've we've probably watched a couple of dozen of those this year and just regular studio release wide releases that a year from now are going to be gone. Maybe one or two of them will be remembered and the rest no one will think about. But there's usually something um, that's uh, that's interesting. I saw one this year that I'm really, that I would never, I probably would not have seen otherwise. I saw a, uh, a Gregory Peck movie that was a screenplay nominee where he was a, uh, the name of it now, because I'm not looking directly at my phone, is escaping me, but he was a, uh, he was an army colonel in Berlin after World War II who he was an intelligence colonel and uh, one of the uh, uh, private with a powerful senator's son gets taken by the Russian army and he's got to um, he's got to engineer a uh, he's got like 24 hours to engineer a, a prisoner swap um, in order to get the guy back without having the senator like come and run roughshod at everything and he's got to find something the Russians want because he has nothing and he's doing it and he's just um, he's just doing it as part of his job. He's got really snappy dialogue. And I found out later that Peck himself said that was his favorite performance uh, of any performance he had not. It wasn't, you know, Cape Fear or To Kill a Mockingbird. It was this uh, simple little uh, uh, Cold War spy story. But it was a great movie. I probably wouldn't have uh, ever heard of it if I hadn't decided to just uh, go and watch all the screenplay nominees I'd, I had never seen before. I think people don't do that regularly where they go back and watch movies. I just think of people who uh, decide not to. There's somebody who wrote a very best-selling book about movies Yeah, did not bother to go Nothing old. He wasn't going to watch anything old. Yeah, not going to do anything old. Yeah. And the funny part is just like a lot of old movies work very well if you watch them today, like, I, like a few nights ago, I was watching this one movie uh, that was shot in the 40s about a, you know, a, a legal immigrants, legal, illegal migrant workers uh, going over the states to try to find work. And I'm like, this shit works is just as uh, pressing and prevalent now as it is yeah. relevant now as it is. And when it came out, and it'll come out of nowhere. I watched like last year. I watched um, uh, just because because I'm weird. Like I wanted to. I watched all the um, old Doctor Kildare movies with uh, Lou Ayers, which they're not great. I mean, that's just that was what's the kind of thing studios did before there was television, so they could make like twelve movies with one character, and it's not much different from what we'd see from like a season of TV these days. But they did one one of those uh, was entirely about. Um, socialized. And this is nineteen like thirty six. Entirely about socialized medicine, about single payer, about the the pros and cons. You know, this is you know eighty years ago, and the 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 arguments that they're having in that are basically the exact same ones with the exact same policy arguments and stuff we're still talking about today. He could have been he could have been uh, talking about um, trying to get Obamacare passed, and he would have been talking about the exact same thing. Um, and this is in like a crappy little. Um, um, low budget, quick profit studio serial from the 30s. Yeah, well, I mean, no, especially those, uh, you know, those B movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if it's just like because over the years, you know, people have uh, 
it's, it's been, and also I guess we should bring up uh, Roger Corman will be yep um, honored at uh, this year's uh, HFCS awards. Uh, you, know, you want to talk about that real briefly? Yeah, he's going to be our uh, our lifetime achievement a year uh, uh, is going to be this year going to the the king of American B movies, Roger Corman. Um, who is going to come be in Houston in person um, to accept, accept. And then um, the day after that, Friday, January 3rd, he's actually going to screen um, what some people think is his best. It might be his best, um, his, his version of Mask of the Red Death with Vincent Price at the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. And he's going to do a uh, with fantastic cinematography by Nicholas Rogue. If nobody's ever seen it before, it's a really, really amazing looking movie, especially considering the the uh, the resources they had to work with, and I think they shot it in like a, two weeks or something. Who's and moderating Mask? It's going to be Joe Layden. Oh, of course. Okay, yeah. that's cool. And uh, and he's going to do a Q and A afterwards. So yeah. uh, so definitely something worth checking out. And Corman's you know had like uh, an amazing life. One thing I didn't I found out about him recently he uh, he graduated from both Stanford and Oxford. Mm-hmm. He has like a literature degree, an, an electrical engineering degree from Stanford, and a literature degree from Oxford. I mean, that's like Renaissance man level. Uh, someone we we associate with just you know boobs and guns and quick B movie thrills. This is someone who's who knows what they're doing, and and you can kind of start to understand why so many of uh, the new Hollywood set went through his uh, his factory and and learned the the basics of filmmaking. Um, making B movies for him. Well, the B movies often because uh, you know, especially like stuff like they like by Sam Fuller, mm-hmm. uh, like Anthony Mann. Mm-hmm. It's like the filmmakers they were kind of making, you know, films about what was going on, you know, on right. the cheap, and those often have kind of like a staying power that uh, they can reach even to the next millennium. As you know, we're talking about movies like that now. How they tend tend to be surprisingly relevant to our times. Yeah, well, I think it's like what we were saying before. It's like you can watch all this stuff that came out, and uh, most of it gets lost a couple of years after it came out. But then there'll be a handful that are just going to be relevant forever, and and they're not necessarily going to be the big studio movies, and definitely not necessarily going to be the Oscar nominees or even the Oscar winners. Those can just disappear. It'll be something that you wouldn't have expected or wouldn't have thought of that gets grabbed onto and um and becomes this thing that is now part of our our cultural uh, bedrock or at least our film bedrock and uh and is we're still watching as a group even those of us who don't watch old movies um, um and that's a totally different that is a totally different like big soapbox thing for me that I could I could rant about for a long time. Well, let's because I was thinking the same thing. Like people don't, I don't know why, but it's just like I mean, I find that like old movies tend to be more more entertaining than shit that's going on around here. It's um, it's you know, some of it. It seems I see it in enough different people that it seems like it's it's a kind of human nature thing. Where as when stuff gets uh, old enough, it becomes hard to um, hard to relate to for a lot of people, which is unfortunate. So it's you know, it's very typical to see most people's sort of film knowledge goes back to about the year that they were born and not much further so which is like means like on average maybe like 40 years ago um so people are like and and people are really familiar with the movies they saw in their formative years 
um, the action movies of the eighties, which is now turning into the the movies of the nineties. And they don't necessarily want to go older than that because they start to, they start to go like, well, anything old, other, you know, earlier than that is old and hard. And I, I just can't, um, I can't relate to anything in it without necessarily under, you know, picking up on the irony of, you know, in 20 years, some other people are going to be saying about that, about the formative stuff, the stuff you consider formative. So if you can just take what you are, are feeling about what you consider formative and, and think about those same elements about something only a little older than you, um, you'll start to come to, uh, to the same, the same, uh, conclusions that probably the people who saw it when it first came out did. Um, but for me, what it really comes down to is what, cause my, my, it really becomes a pet peeve for me, not so much with a lay viewer, cause that's fine. People are going to watch what they find entertaining. So when it comes down to film critics or film writers, because it's a, especially like with this, with this book, which is someone who he goes out of his way to say, by a guy named Shea Serrano, who goes out of his way to say he's not a film critic, but yet he's written a whole book about, about movies and what you should watch and, and check out. And, um, and it speaks to, which is, you know, what a lot of people who are writing about film, this kind of how they're, they're looking at what they're doing and how they're, they're viewing their role in the film conversation. And it, I think it, it highlights, you know, like the, the question now, what exactly is a film critic? Is a film, you know, is a, and there's lots of us now, you can look at Rotten Tomatoes and a movie can have 500 reviews. 20 years ago, a well-reviewed movie might have 50 or 70 reviews. Now it can have 500. Um, so what is a film critic? Is it someone who's thinking critically about film? which in order to do that, you really have to have like a grasp of the history of the medium so you can see how the different things have developed to get up to the, the movie you're watching. Or is it just about someone who can write well about and entertainingly about whether or not he liked a movie? And those are two very different disciplines that I think we've, we've sort of smushed together into one, and they're not, because one of those will you know, requires you to have some sort of knowledge about, uh, about the medium that you're writing about. And one of them doesn't because you just have to go, I like this movie and then be entertaining about why you liked it for however many paragraphs. You have quite a soothing voice. <laughs> uh, have you done radio before? Uh, a little bit. I did our, our, our film critics, um, um, podcasts and I've, I've, um, been like a guest on some of like the AM stations. I'm told that when I get onto radio, I, I seem to adopt like a, uh, the NPR lady voice. So I sound like, um, I'm yeah. a, a character from a uh, Saturday Night Live NPR sketch. You're a very Scott Simon-esque type of voice. Uh, well, I believe, uh, yeah, you gotta get, uh, prepared for the, uh, yeah. wars and everything, but, uh, tell people where they can find you. So you can read my uh, regular film reviews every week at vitalthrills.com. Hopefully you can hear me talk about it from time to time around Houston um, on great podcasts like this one. And uh, if you're interested in anything um, away from the film side or away from the fiction side, I also write comic books for Red 5 Comics. I have a new one called The Box coming out in June of 2020. And uh, what about the medias? 
social medias that oh, is. Oh, yeah, and you can... F- Thank you very much. See, and this goes to show how bad I am at social media. You can follow me uh, on Twitter at uh, at Josh Starnes Film, and you can see me on Instagram at JB Starnes One. I was, I was I was trying to track you down on on the gram. I didn't know which one you're at. Yeah, I don't. I, it doesn't pop up too often. I'm really bad about putting ex- new stuff on Instagram, um, but I'm there. Okay. Um, well, thank you uh, very much, uh, Joshua Storms, for taking part in this. Um, I'm Craig D. Lindsay, and until then, Sarah Huckabee, you, me, and 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 some apple pie with 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 melted yellow cheese on top. Just just get into some apple pie with the cheese, and just see where that goes. Just holler at me about that.